0: If you haven't had a chance to give in your offering today, uh, you'll be able to do that at the end of the service today, or you can text again, 84321, and do it that way. Remember that our help fund uh, right now is actually going into our college scholarship fund and also into the trip for Pastor John and Heather as they're going to Israel. And so for the next several months, if you remember, Brittany Bragg was here with us last Sunday We introduced her to some of you Some of you, you already knew her um, But she is one of ours She grew up in our church And we sent her to Trinity Bible College She came back and she served with us And that scholarship fund was able to help her With her education And we've helped all of the students That have attended our Bible colleges through the years And we want to continue to do that So everything that you give in that offering uh, Goes towards that And that's what you're investing in You're investing in that ministry And so for her We've invested in Spain. We've invested in Turkey. We've invested in the students here in Huron as she worked in the ESL department and uh, had a relationship with many of them when she was on staff with us. And so thank you for your giving uh, today and just wanted to make you aware Again, of that, um, that special change to that offering. And so, if you've got your Bible, uh, in fact, I'm going to encourage you to do something different. I want you to take the Bible in front of you, in the pew, and uh, we're going to go to 1 John, chapter 3. It's on page 1032. 1 John, chapter 3, and today we are in part 6 of the series that we are calling Unoffendable. Unoffendable. And it is uh, based on the book written by Brant Hansen called Unoffendable. Uh, when we started service today, there was still one copy available in the back. And uh, more are coming this week. It's been really difficult to try to keep that in stock um, for some reason. And uh, I love it. I love what it's doing in the lives of the people in our body. I love what it's doing in the lives of people um, outside of our body as well. And this is one of the most important Discussions that we need to have as the body of Christ, because as we've talked about in this series, it is absolutely impossible not to have the opportunity to be offended. In fact, here's the here's the thing. I guarantee you, this week, you will have one minimum, one opportunity to be offended with someone this week. It could be your spouse, it could be your kids, it could be a co-worker, it could be the president of the United States, it could be anybody. It could be the driver in front of you. You will have the opportunity, guarantee it. Whether or not you take it is what we've been talking about. Because we can choose to live this unoffendable life. But in order to choose it, we have to choose now to lay down our right to be offended. We have to choose to lay down our right to anger and our right to hurt. We actually have to start choosing to honor all people all people. I had a conversation just a few weeks ago with someone, and I said, did you know the Bible actually says to honor all people? And they said, well, I know it says honor authority. It doesn't say honor all people. 1 Peter 2.17, honor all people. It really does. Honor the person that you don't want to honor or don't think is worthy of honor, because it's a biblical command. It's a foundation point in the kingdom of God. And for some of us, how many of you know the Bible says in order to receive, it's you give. You give, you receive. You, you get it? That's the kingdom mentality, give, receive. We attribute that to money a lot. How many of you know, if you want to receive something from God, the, the honor that you give, when you start honoring people that don't deserve your honor, you actually expand your ability to receive the kingdom. See, some of us are praying, oh God, give me revelation, give me the kingdom. And he's like, "Uh, there's no room, because you're not giving out what I've given to you. And so because of that, I really can't put more in you. It's the Dead Sea concept, you've taken in all you can. And so when we learn to give, when we learn to bless those who curse us, you actually open yourself up to receive more of the kingdom. When you learn to love your enemies, you open yourself up to give to receive the kingdom. That's what happens. And so today, we're talking about this amazing love. How can it be? That's my title, Amazing Love, How Can It Be? And I know I stole the title, and it's the title of a song, but um, I want to bring us back to the, the concept of that song, and we're fresh off of Easter, okay? The first week after Resurrection Sunday when we talked about God's love displayed for us through the death, through the resurrection of Jesus, and we are going to do something a little bit different today. We're actually going to read two chapters from the Bible. I'm going to read First John chapters 3 and 4, and I thought if we all read it from the same version from the same book, then it would maybe help us to pull from it. And then I'm actually going to just give you thoughts from chapter 16, 17, and 18 of the book Unoffendable, because I believe it is a great commentary on 1 John chapters 3 and 4, and then we're going to end by receiving communion together, because we're going to come full circle, we're going to come to the cross, we're going to receive, and we're going to ask for the grace to release that same stuff. So can we do all of that in the amount of time we have? Lord, give us grace, okay. So 1 John chapter 3, we're on page 1032, it's not going to be on the screen, you've got to look at it in front of you. See how very much our Father loves us, for He calls us His children, and that is what we are. Now, the only part of this version I don't like is that verse, because I love the NIV, because the NIV says, see what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we would be called children of God. And I just love the way that that sounds better than this, but it's just a preference, so... But the people who belong to this world don't recognize that we are God's children because they don't know him. Dear friends, we are already God's children, but he has not yet shown us what we will be like when Christ appears. But we do know that we will be like him, for we will see him as he really is. And all who have this eager expectation will keep themselves pure just as he is pure. Everyone who sins is breaking God's law, for all sin is contrary to the law of God. And you know that Jesus came to take away our sins, and there is no sin in him. Anyone who continues to live in him will not sin. But anyone who keeps on sinning does not know him or understand who he is. Dear children, don't let anyone deceive you about this. When people do what is right, it shows that they are righteous, even as Christ is righteous. But when people keep on sinning, it shows that they belong to the devil who has been sinning since the beginning. But the Son of God came to destroy the works of the devil. Those who have been born into God's family do not make a practice of sinning because God's life is in them. So they can't keep on sinning because they're children of God. So now we can tell who are children of God and who are children of the devil. Anyone who does not live righteously and does not love other believers does not belong to God. Wow, let's read that one again. Anyone who does not live righteously and does not love action, other believers does not belong to God. This is the message you have heard from the beginning. We should love one another. We must not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and killed his brother. And why did he kill him? Because Cain had been doing what was evil, and his brother had been doing what was righteous. So don't be surprised, dear brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. If we love our brothers and sisters who are believers, it proves that we have passed from death to life. But a person who has no love is still dead. Anyone who hates another brother or sister is really a murderer at heart. And you know that no murderers have eternal life within them. Verse 16, we know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. If someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother in, or sister in need but shows no compassion... How can God's love be in that person? Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let's show the truth by our actions. Our actions will show that we belong to the truth. So we will be confident when we stand before God. Even if we feel guilty, God is greater than our feelings and he knows everything. Dear friends, if we don't feel guilty, we can come to God with bold confidence. And we will receive from him whatever we ask because we obey him and do the things that please him. And this is his commandment. We must believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded us. Those who obey God's commandments remain in fellowship with him and he with them. And we know he lives in us because the spirit he gave us lives in us. Dear friends, do not believe everyone who claims to speak by the spirit. You must test them to see if the spirit they have comes from God. There are many false prophets in the world This is how we know they have the Spirit of God. If a person claiming to be a prophet acknowledges that Jesus Christ came in a real body, that person has the Spirit of God. But if someone claims to be a prophet and does not acknowledge the truth about Jesus, that person is not from God. Such a person has the Spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard is coming into the world and indeed is already here. But you belong to God, my dear children. You have already won a victory over those people because the spirit who lives in you is greater than the spirit who lives in the world. Those people belong to the world, so they speak from the world's viewpoint and the world listens to them. But we belong to God and those who know God listen to us. If they don't belong to God, they don't listen to us. This is how we know if someone has the spirit of truth or the spirit of deception. Dear friends, But that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. No one has ever seen God. But if we love each other, God lives in us and his love is brought to full expression in us. And God has given us His Spirit as proof that we live in Him and He in us. Furthermore, we have seen with our own eyes and, now the, and testify that the Father sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. All who declare that Jesus is the Son of God have God living in them. And they live in God. We know how much God loves us and we have put our trust in His love. God is love. And all who live in love live in God, and God lives in them. And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. So we will not be afraid on the day of judgment, but we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in this world. Such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. If we are afraid, it is for fear of punishment, and this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. We love each other because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God, but hates a fellow believer, that person is a liar. For if we don't love people we can see, how can we love God whom we cannot see? And he has given us this command. Those who love God must also love their fellow believers. Now, I know he spends a lot of time talking about the love that we're supposed to have for our fellow believers, but don't forget, we're supposed to have love for all people also. But this passage, he's really referring to that. And when you take a step back from this and we start thinking about God's love for mankind, it is truly unbelievable. How can it be that our God died for us? I hope that we haven't heard that so often that that has just lost its wonder for us. I hope that I'm not able to say, How can it be that our God would die for us? And you're like, Because his love is so perfect and so persistent and so perpetual and so relentless. But here's the thing our emotions and our attentions are not. The goodness of God does not depend on how we feel about it. It does not attend uh, it does not depend on our attentiveness to it. See God's love, God's presence does not come and go. It doesn't suddenly vanish just like our emotions do at times, but it's constant. It's consistent. It's perpetual. You and I could sit here today and we could sing the song Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound. And we could be taken in by it, the sweeping scope of God's love for us, his willingness to forgive us and his unlending. Squirrel. Oh, oh how he loves us in spite of all of our Ooh, Twins game today. What time was that Twins game today? Oh no. And his grace will lead us on Oh, I forgot to reply to that email. We've no less days to sing God's praise than, do I smoke coffee? I totally smoke coffee. Is someone making coffee? And yet, in all of that, do you know what? God's grace is still amazing. See, we can ignore it. We can let it drift from our awareness, and it remains right there, unchanged, And unmoved. Whether or not we currently feel that God is in this room or that He is around us does not change the reality that He is, that He is always. Present with us. And as Pentecostals, this is our dilemma because we tend to rely a lot on our feelings. And now we would never actually call them feelings. We would say sense. I don't sense God's presence. Can I tell us something? That whether or not we sense or feel He is with us, He is with us. And whether or not we sense or feel that He loves us, He loves us. And whether or not we sense or feel that we are worthy of His love, well, we're right. We're not worthy of His love. But yet, that's the amazing part that he still loves us and it does not change the reality of our love our feelings do not change it ultimately you and I are never worthy of his love even on your best behaved day of life we fall terribly short of the worthiness of his love but his love is constant and guess what that is good news It does not mean that we can be lazy or indifferent, but on the contrary, I believe when we encounter his amazing love, it actually transforms us completely. Unfortunately, not all at once. In the book, Brant Hansen talks about these imperfect saints that are gathered around the throne in Revelation chapter 7. You know, those who have made themselves ready and who are are there in these white garments. And this is what he says about them. Then the voice says, they have washed their robes and have made them white in the blood of the Lamb. There they are. There we are. The multitude who so wanted to be faithful, who at times got defeated soiled by life and bested by trials, wearing the bloodied garments of life's tribulations, but through it all clung to faith. My friends, if this is not good news to you, you have never understood the gospel of grace. As I said, the best news ever. God still loves us. He has not abandoned us. Every hope that we've ever had that someone would find value in us, would think we were worthy of love, would find us enjoyable and attractive and pleasing and worthwhile is met in him. God himself loves us. His love trumps everything and nothing, Paul wrote in Romans, can separate us from that love. And Paul says even more, when you put your trust in Jesus, there is now therefore no condemnation in you. None. You are off the hook. That is so stunning and it is actually really hard to believe because there is nothing else in this world that seems to work that way. This is not based on my performance That's totally based upon what God has done for me. He loves me because it's who he is. And please get this. He is not constantly evaluating our religious goodness. He's not angry with us. In fact, in Christ, he's no longer counting our sins against us. But one problem is we are forgetful and easily distracted. We don't always live in the reality of the good news. And that... I believe, is why anger and offense can so easily take root in our hearts. You and I must be more attentive to this great news. And I believe as a result of that, we will be more and more remarkably slow to anger and to offense. But here's a bigger problem. We're not just inattentive. Some of us actually don't believe it. Remember, it's not what we say that what we believe, but it's actually what we do that shows what we believe. And for many of us in this room, every day of our lives, we strain and we strive and we push and we pull and we work and we worry and we try to win favor with a father who is already pleased with us. We know that the scriptures say we're no longer under the law. We know that it says our salvation depends on Christ from start to finish. We did not receive the Spirit because we obey the law. We know that through Jesus we've been adopted into God's family. We know the commandment is to believe in Jesus in what He's done for us, and yet we still believe. The real issue is that we need to stop sinning now and work harder. No wonder we get so angry. I believe we're displeased with others many times because we're convinced God is displeased with us. We believe God loves us, but we suspect that that love is conditional. His love is based on whether or not we actually get our act straightened out. We carry this load of the 600-plus rules that we know we can't keep, and we're convinced God's ticked off at us, but we try to keep them anyway. And do you know what that is? That's a prescription for immense frustration with ourselves, and it probably explains why we're so easily offended with others. I say that because when you and I see others that are not trying as hard as we are, that's downright enraging. Because we're hoping God gives them what they deserve for not trying as hard as they should. And when they don't get what they deserve, we wonder, why are we doing it then? We get angry with ourselves, we get angry with him, and we get angry with everyone around us. So we believe the good news, but not really. Not fully. You see, by our standards, the way that Jesus treats people does not make sense. Let me give you a test. Do you like tests? Nobody likes tests, but here it is. What does a properly religious leader do when seeing his so-called best friends for the first time after they disowned him and betrayed him in his hour of need? Let's make it multiple choice. That's easier. So, letter A. Does he show them the error of their wicked ways by pronouncing harsh, deserved judgment upon them? Or letter B, does he, letter B, letter B. I'm having a few issues. Thank you for letter B. Does he give them a stern talking to, but offer forgiveness if they prove themselves truly repentant? That sounds a little better, but what's letter C? Let's see if we can find letter C. Can we have letter C? Fry him up a hearty breakfast. (laughs) Hmm. Do you know what he did? C. He fried him up a hearty breakfast. Look at what Brant Hansen says about that. God walked among us. Even though we completely messed everything up, he took on flesh, lowering himself to be with us, and he walked in our world. He let us mock, bruise, and beat him and deliberately subject him to an utterly humiliating capital punishment on display for all. He let us do that. He wanted us that, he wanted to be with us that bad. And there he is encountering his friends for the first time. And while they're coming back towards shore in their boat, God himself is making breakfast. You suspect you're unlovable? He loves you. You wonder deep down, if anyone could really truly know you and still want you, he knows you better than you know you and he wants you. You've given up on yourself. He hasn't given up on you. This isn't feel-good talk. It's the rightful conclusion we can draw from the cross itself. He still loves us because he's a father, the one we've always wanted. See, far too many of us are waiting for something extraordinary to happen to us. And ironically, it already has. We've just forgotten or become inattentive to it. Every day several times a day we check our mail, our email, our social media, and we are looking for some good news. We're looking for something extraordinary, something life-altering, something that changes everything, and it's here. It's the love that God displayed for us at the cross, and it changes everything. It restores us to relationship with our Heavenly Father, our Creator, our Sustainer, the all-supreme, all-powerful ruler of the universe, and we can walk right into His presence at any moment. And the question is, if we are mindful of this and we really believe it, how does it not leave us stunned and joyful? How does it not leave us less apt to take and keep an offense? How can we continue to be so easily slighted and hurt If we really believe it, we should be known for being less apt to criticize, slower to anger, and more forgiving. We'll be known for loving one another because now we have the power to do just that. So you and I have finally found what we have always wanted, significance and security from the one who can give us both. And if this is true, then our love for one another would be an accurate test of whether or not we really believed all of this. Our very refusal to be offended, our patience with one another would actually point to the truth of Jesus and that we actually belong to him. Because he says, love like me, forgive like me. Jesus, the one who made breakfast for his betrayers. One of the things that I feel like God at Restoration Church has asked us to really sow into is the racial restoration that needs to happen in our culture. Please never be dismissive of this issue. It is a big issue that the enemy has used to keep many on both sides in bondage. And in the chapters we read this week, Brant introduces us to his African-American producer named Sherry. And Sherry was invited to speak at a church. And when she was invited to speak at the church, she was confronted by racism by one of the adult male white leaders. Did I say white twice? Maybe I wanted to overemphasize it. I can't remember. But she was confronted with it. And so she had to act. And she acted, responded in love and with a hug. And this is Brant's take on that situation. I know Sherry takes racism very very seriously, but she says she also has to forgive racists because she has to love people in her family and they are part of her family. She has to love them as Jesus loves her. Sherry's not Sherry's love is not naive. That's exactly why it's so profound. She's setting her offense aside not because it doesn't matter, not because it isn't completely understandable but because of what Jesus has done for her she's choosing against offense not excuse me not just because god loves these men but also because god loves her and has set aside her very real offenses in order to be with her there are those of us who pat ourselves on the back for loving our families and friends I'm loyal to the end. I'd die for my kids, we'll say. Truth is, that's not really terribly remarkable. Everyone, or practically everyone, feels this way. What is terribly remarkable is when someone is willing to love a person in the name of Jesus whom he or she would otherwise despise. It makes no sense otherwise. Why would we ever regard someone as family who would otherwise be an enemy? Why ignore his faults or cover her wrongs with love? Without Jesus, it simply makes no sense. But Sherry's very refusal and our very refusal to take and hold offense is evidence of the existence of God. This is how they'll know we belong to him, Jesus said. So let's love from this moment forward because he first loved us. Can I tell you, this, more than people being raised from the dead, would change our world. How do I know that? Because Jesus said all men would know we're his disciples. They would all know that he came from God by our love for one another, not by our power to raise people from the dead. Yet I still pursue power to raise people from the dead because sometimes I believe people die before they should. And we should, by faith, be able to raise them from the dead. It's happening all around the world. But we need to pursue this. The greatest of these is love. See, this great experiment that you and I call the church, well, we didn't call it that. Jesus called it that. His father called it that. But we, the church, is not made up of natural friends. We are not here bound together by common education or common race or common income level or common politics or common nationality or common jobs or anything like it. We are bound together in this room by the love of Christ given to us and our allegiance to him. And now we commit ourselves to doing what he says and at the top of his list is this commandment to love one another like he loved us. And that is why we can and must live unoffendable. This is why we give up the right to be angry, no matter how justified it may feel. Because if I'm going to love others as God loves me, I have to love them, faults and all. It's that simple. And that excruciatingly difficult. Difficult. Letting go of offense and anger means forgiveness. And forgiveness means sacrifice. My sense of justice says the person who hurt me should pay for that. But with forgiveness, the forgiver, the victim, must pay again. See, whenever there's an injury in a relationship, whether it's a hurt, a broken heart, or some type of broken thing, if we're willing to forgive, what we're ultimately saying is, I got this. I'm going to pick up the bill for this. And this is precisely what God has done for us. If you and I are honest with ourselves, we would would realize that anger is valuable to us. And that is why we hold on to it and why we savor it. Anger means something. Anger means I've been wronged. Anger means I'm right. Anger means I'm the victim. And we want to even the scales. One way that we can do that, at least psychologically, is to stay offended. And since our anger has value, giving it up requires sacrifice. Can you put the next quote up? The cross simultaneously stands as a constant reminder of his willingness to pay the bill and as an indictment on us when we are unwilling to do the same for others. Last week, we looked at the rich young ruler from Luke chapter 18 who came to Jesus and ultimately kept all of the commandments. And Jesus then puts a demand in front of him that is too great for him to follow. And the young man, it says, walks away sad. And strangely, Jesus lets him walk away. Jesus doesn't call out after him, offering some level of compromise. Apparently, the man will either do what Jesus says or he will walk away. There's no splitting the difference. There's no paying lip service. And the crazy thing is that we have a tendency to do this with forgiveness. Jesus makes a clear demand on us to give up our anger and he does it because he gave up his anger towards us, we need to give ours up and forgive. Forgive as we have been forgiven. And yet every one of us is guilty of finding reasons why that really doesn't apply to our situation. Maybe Jesus didn't anticipate what you and I would have to endure. Maybe he didn't realize what he was asking, or maybe we don't realize what we've done to him. The problem is, Hear me, the problem is we don't walk away sad. Instead, we tell ourselves we can live a Christian lifestyle, just integrate our own decisions about whom to forgive and when. And that's especially dangerous because when we do that, we're actually walking away. Only we're not aware we're walking away. We've just de-radicalized the nature of following Jesus because we think we found a better way. And so today we come to the cross. We come to the Lord's table. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, the Apostle Paul is passing on to this Corinthian church why we celebrate Communion. They celebrated communion very differently than we do. For them, it was a feast. The whole sense of the Passover meal that Jesus had with his disciples was relegated to the part of the church. But the problem was, those who were wealthy, those who were more well-to-do, were not caring for or waiting for those who were not. And Paul rebukes them for what he says is a failure to recognize the body of Christ has nothing to do with using the wrong bread or the wrong grape juice, okay? What he's talking about is people. The failure to recognize his body. We cannot claim to love him, but not actively love his body. His broken, imperfect body. See, every time we come to this table... Paul tells us we are proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes again. We're proclaiming his death. That means we're we're putting it out there. We're saying it. We're declaring it. We're we're putting a, a flag down. This is what's true for everything he died to give us. Everything his death, death and resurrection opens for us. Salvation, forgiveness, healing, wholeness, restoration. But what we're also proclaiming is what it means for how we relate to others, to his body. You see, the cross simultaneously stands as a constant reminder of his willingness to pay the bill and as an indictment on us when we're unwilling to do the same for others. And so today, we're going to end our service together coming to this table. And what we're going to do in just a moment, we're going to have you come and we're going to have you get the elements and then head back to your seats. And when you get back to your seat, you can be seated because we're going to talk about those elements, but I want you to have them in hand for us to talk about them. And so we're gonna wait till everyone's been served and then we're gonna receive them. If you can't make it to the front because of, of health condition, uh, Pastor Mark is gonna come around with a tray, just signal him as he comes around and he'll serve you right there in your seat. For the rest of us, what we normally do is come to these center aisles and come to the front and receive communion and then just head back to our seats through this center aisle, just to try to keep us from bumping into each other so that everyone can pass through and be served. And we're actually gonna sing a song that I've put on a video today For us, we're going to sing Amazing Love, How Can It Be. So I want to invite you to stand. And as we sing this song together, I want to invite you starting in the first row to come and receive the elements and then take them back to your seats.
1: It's great. Off my heart was free. I rose, went forth and followed thee. Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die? die for me
0: Is there anyone who has not been served elements that would like to receive I want you to look at what you're holding there in your hand It really is just some juice a cracker there's nothing that's going to transform that into the body or blood of Jesus, it's symbolic it's a representation and we do it because we tend to forget because we tend to lose sight of what it is that he's done for us and some of us today haven't let ourselves off the hook And when I talk about straining and striving and pushing, you know the weight of that. And I do not believe what he's done for us should ever be taken flippantly or indifferently or in a lazy manner. We should actually feel the weight of what he did for us. But you cannot forget why he did it. And you cannot forget that our salvation depends on what he did from start to finish because his yoke is easy and his burden is light. And if you are not experiencing that today, perhaps you've yet to fully let yourself off the hook. How do we know if we've fully received his love for us? Well, our fears... Our anxieties, our stresses, our anger can be pretty telling. My challenge to you today would not to be seek, to sink deeper into that guilt and shame and condemnation, but to repent. But the other test, as Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 11, is our relationship towards others. It's not just how can it be that our God would die for us, but how can it be that I show that same love in my life? life. For some of us, maybe we forget what he's overlooked in our lives to be with us, and it's time for us to lay down the need to make everyone else measure up. Our frustration level with our family, our frustration level with our friends, our frustration level with our co-workers can be pretty telling as to whether or not we've understood what it means to receive it, and to let it flow out of us. I've literally been overwhelmed by the number of people across so many denominations that have resonated with the message of this book. I've never seen anything like it and I never saw it coming. People that I talk about it in conversation, I find out later they've looked it up and they bought a copy and they've read it and they've bought copies for people and they've passed it on. And not one person comes back to me and says, man, this book feels so good. (laughs) Nobody. They don't. Everyone comes back. In fact, just this week, someone who's reading it, not from our church said, this guy, Brandt, he is fickle. Because there ain't nobody but Jesus can live like this. And that's the point. I did a burial service this week. And there was some time that I was visiting with the the funeral director. And somehow we got on this book. And he he said to me, I need to get a copy of that for someone. And he shared the story and and, and why. And I said, it's a great copy. I said, if you forget the title, let me know and I'll, I'll get you plugged in. I said, but for me... I said just today as I was driving to this service I drove past the house of someone and they didn't offend me Well, they didn't wrong me. They wronged one of my friends and that that thing came right to my mind And so what I think people are starting to realize is that our spirits are resonating with the truth of this message See, it's not about whether we don't smoke or drink or swear or you know, do these bad sins. It's that we love one another the way that he loved us. It's whether or not we're able to look past the offense and trust that God's working in the lives of the people around us. I mean, yeah, John clearly says if we continue in him, we can't make excuses for our sin. We can't just live in sin and say, well, it's okay, I've got grace. No, we've got to understand the weight of it. But we can't carry the burden of it because that's already been carried for us. Some of us can't receive his love because as I shared earlier in this service, we're not good at giving it out to others. Remember what Jesus said, I don't want mercy or I don't want sacrifice from you. I want you to give mercy. Do you know what mercy means? Mercy means you deserve something from me, but I'm not, I'm going to withhold it. I'm going to withhold what you deserve. Why would he ever say that? Because doesn't he think those people need to hear what's wrong with their lives so that they'll, they'll change? No, because when you give mercy to people who don't deserve it, you enlarge your capacity to receive the kingdom. See, this isn't about them at all. But yet Paul says you want to overcome evil, overcome it with good. Don't try to pay back people. And sometimes we just pay them back with a verbal tongue lashing. You know, we just tell them what they did that was so terrible. But maybe the way to open their hearts is mercy. One last quote from Brandt before we take these elements together today. Brandt says this, "'So here I am writing this, knowing full well I'm still struggling with it. I don't come by patience with others easily or with taking the long view of what God might be doing in their lives.' but I'm more patient than I used to be. Jesus is giving us a completely different way to live. And it's one that sets us free from anger, free from ever-present guilt, free to really love people, free from constant anxiety, and free to get a good night's sleep. See, these elements represent God's unrelenting love towards us and so father we come to your table today with these symbols in our hand the bread that symbolizes your body that was broken for us your blood that confirms that seals this new covenant that lets us off The hook Holy Spirit it's so hard for us to fathom this gift that you've made available to us but for the sake of the kingdom for the sake of the souls in Huron and around the world help us to fully receive this love into our lives today Help it to fully transform our hearts and lives in such a way that it can flow out of us to coworkers, to people that we pass on the streets of the city, to friends, to neighbors, to those closest to us, to our children, to our brothers and sisters, to our parents, to our spouses. Holy Spirit, transform our lives through this amazing love today. I ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Let's partake of those elements together today. free. You're free. You're free. Some of you are going to need to sit here for a while until maybe your heart catches up with your mind. And that's okay. We're going to leave this room worshipful. We're going to just continue to play some some music and you can stay as long as you need. Some of you maybe need to come to the front and lay something down. Maybe there's some anger, some hurt, some indifference towards others that you need to lay down. Don't walk out of this room without dealing with anything that the Holy Spirit has brought to your mind today. He didn't bring it to you for you to carry it like a ball and chain. He brought it to your mind today for you to admit it, to lay it at the feet of Jesus and to turn away from it. So make sure that you take time to do that before you leave today. I'm gonna pray a blessing over you and then I'm gonna dismiss. And I'm gonna ask that if you wanna leave, if you need to leave, that you do it quietly and don't visit with each other in this room, but let this be a room that's available for prayer for those that wanna to pray or be prayed for our prayer team will join you here in the front if you need prayer for anything we'd love that opportunity to pray with you before you leave today but don't rush out of here allow the Holy Spirit to just finish that work in your heart that needs to be done before you leave today now Father I pray that you would bless them and keep them I ask that you would cause your face to shine on them be gracious to them I ask that you'd lift up your countenance upon them and give them peace. And I ask it in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. God bless you as you go today.